Hello and welcome to Abundant Life Church. My name is David and I'm the pastor of groups here at ALC. And this week we are bringing to a close a three-week series we've been in called On Mission. And really what we've been doing is, is addressing the question, why do we exist? As a church family, as Abundant Life Church, why do we exist? And here is the answer we've been discussing the last several weeks. ALC exists to inspire people to follow Jesus, love one another, and give ourselves for our neighbors. It is so important at any turning point in an organization uh, and in this transition period, in this time where we faced crisis over the last year with all the things that are going on, that we just answer that question. Why do we exist? And I love that we've been able to come around this sentence, this statement. Uh, in week one, Pastor Aaron Baker talked about that first phrase, ALC exists to inspire people to follow Jesus. At our core, that is what we are all about, inspiring people to follow Jesus while recognizing that that journey looks a bit different for each one of us. But the amazing thing is that we get to do it together. Second, Pastor Aaron Walton spoke last week about that, that second phrase, right? To love one another. Such an essential piece, really the essential piece of following Jesus, love, loving one another. And he showed us uh, various ways that we can sh express that, not just with our words, but with our actions, the things that we do. And both were such incredible messages. If you missed either of those, I so encourage you to go back and take a look and, and get on mission with us, with our church family. This week, we're taking a look at that final phrase, ALC exists, Abundant Life Church exists to inspire people to give ourselves for our neighbors. So if you're following along with me in your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Luke 10. We're going to get there in just a moment here. Well, for a couple of years, my life group held a Christmas gift exchange. And that's really common. A lot of our life groups do that. Maybe a lot of your families do that. But our gift exchange as a life group was a little bit unique. We, for these couple of years, held our gathering a few weeks after Christmas. Usually after, after the new year, we would find a time to get together. And the gifts that qualified, right, the gifts we could bring to the table could only be gifts we had received for Christmas. In other words, you could call it a re-gift exchange. And uh, I have kept one of these gifts uh, for a couple of years now, just to remember those times with my life group. This is literally a gift wrap grouping set of loose batteries. <laughs> that's, that's all that it is. And it's wrapped really nice in this pizza wrapping paper. Uh, and there's been so many times that my wife and I are running out of batteries and we go, should we open it? We're like, no, because what a cool memory with our group that we get to hold on to. Now, I, I just have to ask, how many of you have re-gifted a present, received something that you didn't quite like, but decided to give it to someone else. Yeah, whether you're at our campuses or online, you can uh, nudge your neighbor or raise your hand. I think a lot of us have been there. But also, how many of you have received a gift you are certain that was re-gifted? 
right? That you just know, yes, again, probably a good batch of us. This has become such a common thing. So common, in fact, that researchers have determined the most commonly re-gifted presence. And we're going to have a little fun with that today. I'd like to share it with you, but, but in kind of a cool way. You'll notice I have some gifts with me that I have brought today. These are the top three re-gifted items, uh, categories of items uh, that these researchers have found. So the third, the third most, it's actually our biggest present here. And remember, you can be guessing, you can, you can show your guesses to your friends if you want some bragging rights, you can tell them what you think these might be or just keep it in your head. But the third most common re-gifted item, any guesses? Gift sets, gift sets, gift baskets, all of these preset packs. Oh my gosh, <laughs> there's a clearance sticker on that. Don't, just don't notice that. So, but, but this is so common. Why? Because it's already ready to go. I could put a, a ribbon on this, a bow. I'm good to go. I can just give this to whoever I like. I don't need to worry about it. Let's look at number two. The second most commonly re-gifted item is, oh, that's weird. Oh, I, I, I almost forgot. I gave this one to your campus pastors. And so uh, Jen at Vancouver, hey, hey, Bryce at Sandy, Aaron in the online chat. Remember those, those gifts I gave you? Yeah, that was, that was, that was for this. Uh, and so if you can find someone to give those to, we're talking about re-gifting right now. So if you can just give those away, I know you might want to keep them, but, but find someone to give those away to. Yeah, I'll wait. Well, well, someone on each of your campuses should be receiving a gift card right now. And why are gift cards so, so common? Well, because you can just dig out your gift card drawer, you probably have one, and pop it in a card and you're ready to go. The risk you run is whether or not that still has a full balance. And I'm hoping those cards we just gave you still have their full balance. No, no guarantees. Now, the most common Regifted present. Any guesses? Share with your neighbor, right? Have that in mind. The most common item is the scented candle. And I have here probably the scented candle that most speaks to you. There's nothing that quite shows love like dandelion and arugula. Yeah, yeah, wildflowers uh, and lettuce. Yeah, weeds and lettuce, right? I don't know who comes up with these scents, but I tend to get scented candles just about every year for at least one holiday. And it's never a scent I actually want to experience. And I end up saying, maybe, maybe there's someone else that would like to have that. Now, generally, the practice of regifting, the practice of giving these items away is frowned upon. Why? Because when we receive a gift, it feels so much better to know that it was specifically for us, right? That it was chosen for us. And then when we give a gift, it's so much more fulfilling to intentionally prepare a gift for a friend, right? Rather than just finding something lying around that we don't want, that we didn't want to begin with. And so... Uh, we, we tend to, to look at these items, say, oh, I don't want it, but, but maybe, right? Maybe there's somebody else that does. And so we wrap it up, we put a bow on it, we call it good. But I wanna uh, look at, at, at this a little bit differently. What about the gifts from God? 
What about the gifts that we receive from God? You see, when it comes to gifts from God, every present was meant to be regifted. Here's the thing. When, when God gives us gifts, they are specific gifts that are intended for you. They really are. But they were also specifically intended for you to give away. It's this amazing dichotomy that God invites us into, that he gives us gifts, right, that really are for us, and they are really for others as well. It says this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And that phrase has always resonated with me so deeply, that life that is truly life, I want that. Church, the life that is truly life centers around radical generosity. Not just with our stuff, not just with our money, but with our very selves, with our lives. Romans chapter 12, verses four and five say this. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body, the church. We are many parts of one body, get this, and we all belong to each other. Think about how preposterous that is. We all belong to each other. I'm an individual, right? I'm unique. I'm my own person, not in the kingdom of God. When we choose to follow Jesus, to become a part of this community, this kingdom of God, we have to recognize, yes, we're individuals. Yes, we are uniquely made. Yes, we have unique gifts. And in this family, we don't keep our gifts to ourselves. That the gifts that we were given were intended to be given away, to be shared not just with our church family, but with our neighbors around us. And this isn't new for us at ALC. This is not new for Abundant Life Church. For years, this church family has been known for radical generosity, for the benefit of our neighbors, the people around us. I think of things uh, from our, our church history like serve the city, right? Where we got out and served the schools and the community around us to make it a better place, not to benefit ourselves, but just to benefit our community, to love our neighbors. I think of things, some of you might remember socks and stew, where this church family uh, provided so many brand new socks, canned goods. It was a ridiculous amount. I've seen the pictures. This church came together to benefit our community. We've sent teams around the world for, to our global neighbors, right? Our students have gone down to Mexico to build houses for our global neighbors. And then more recently, last summer, we were able to provide wildlife fire, wildfire relief for our communities at Sandy and Happy Valley specifically, for those that were displaced right, by the flames and the smoke, they had a place to go to. They had food to eat because our church family came 
together. And then a simple thing that gets overlooked, the lights of Christmas, right? A lot of work went into that. It's not the, a simple thing to, to accomplish, but it often gets overlooked because it's not uh, getting down and dirty. It's not going and, and serving meals. It's not building houses. It is for the benefit of our community, though, right? When our, our church family recognized our community doesn't have a lot to do this Christmas, a lot of events have been shut down. What could we do to make a, a really special holiday season for our neighbors, we were able to put together an incredible thing called the lights of Christmas. That is why this phrase is such an essential part of the answer to why our church exists. A few weeks ago, Pastor Laura reminded us that God doesn't want to be invited into what we are doing. No, God is inviting us into what he is doing. We do this through radical love and generosity. We do this by giving ourselves to God and his kingdom, by giving ourselves to our neighbors. This begs the question, though, who is my neighbor? Who am I giving myself for? Because that's really going to determine whether I'm open to this, right? Because I can't trust just about anybody. Well, I want to start uh, addressing that question of, of who is my neighbor with a little activity. And you've probably done this before, so just, just play along with me. We've heard all sorts of definitions of neighbor. Uh, maybe you, you, you might say it's your coworkers, the people you spend your day with, uh, people that you share an interest with, maybe your church family. I really want to hone in on the most common definition. Those who literally live closest to where you live next door, across the street, uh, sharing your fence, if you're in an apartment above and below you, right? These are the most common definition of neighbor. But let's kind of put that to the test today. You're gonna see a graphic come up on the screen and it's just gonna have a place uh, or spaces for you to consider and name the eight closest neighbors to you. And these can be around you, above you, below you, whatever that is. But I want you to see, even if it's just in your head or if you have a, a piece of paper to write this down on, could you name those that live closest to you? Their first names, their last names. I'm gonna give you a minute. You can go ahead and start. And remember, there's, there's no pressure here. I just moved and I could probably give three or four first names. No pressure <laughs> at all. I just, I, I'm just curious to see. All right, so whether you're at, at Sandy, Vancouver, online, uh, if you have kind of those names in mind, I know I didn't give a ton of time for that, but, but are you able to think of at least two, at least two neighbors? All right, if you're at a campus, you can raise your hand. If you're at home, you can raise your hand too. What about four? Can you name at least five? Seven? All eight? If that's you and you can name all eight, that is amazing. Congratulations. We have, I, I just gave away all my presents. I'll have to get, get back to you on that. But, but really, we're asking, who is my neighbor? Who are the neighbors around me? And when we ask that question, we have to remember the people who actually live around us and recognize that Jesus' idea of our neighbors, who is our neighbor, is much larger than that. 
The clearest example we have of this is in Luke 10. Hopefully you're at that text uh, with me. We're going to start in verse 25. It says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? The expert answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Now think about this exchange. This expert in the law stands up to test Jesus with a question. And Jesus responds with his own question. But even more astoundingly, the expert answers the question correctly. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. This expert in the law is already there. Seeing this as the summary of, of the law, right? The law that they've been living by. So at this point, they're on the same page. But let's continue in verse 29. But he, the expert in the law, wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? There's our question. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Then Jesus poses the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now again, this expert answers correctly, right? They're on the same page intellectually, right? Philosophically, ethically. This is one of those few occasions where Jesus shares a parable and there's immediate understanding in the moment, right? Think about how amazing that is. But when we go back to verse 29, we, we, we see that, that there is still this tension here. Even though they have this same understanding, there's one phrase that shows us where this tension is coming from. That phrase is, but he, the expert in the law, wanted to justify himself. But he wanted to justify himself. And how did he attempt to justify himself? With the question, who is my neighbor? Often when we ask that question, who is my neighbor, we're attempting to justify ourselves. Or at the very least, draw a circle around the people that we're supposed to love, right? Where is this circle? Where is this boundary? Where does it end? Who are the people inside that circle I'm supposed to love? Who are the people outside that circle that it doesn't matter so much, that I don't have 
to love. This is that act of justifying ourselves. We want to create those boundaries and categories. It makes it easier for us to understand the world around us. It makes it um, seem more achievable, right, to do what Jesus is asking us to do. But Jesus doesn't give us that luxury. What was his response when asked, who is my neighbor? He tells a story about a man, a man on a journey, a man on a road, that's just about all we know about this man. We don't know where, uh, where he's from, where his home is. We don't know his ethnicity. We don't know any social groups he is a part of. And even more, the story itself takes place in transit, on the road. There's no way to know the circumstances of who could call this person a neighbor if we're trying to draw those boundaries. And then the priest passed him by, and the Levite passed him by, and the Samaritan stops to help and care, take him to safety, pay for his expenses. Not because he lived nearby. That wasn't why he was a neighbor. Not because he was a part of the same group. That wasn't why he was a neighbor. Why was he a neighbor? It was because he chose to be a neighbor. Jesus' answer to the question, who is my neighbor, is that neighborliness. Yes, that is a real word. Neighborliness is a decision, not a condition. I'll say it again. Neighborliness is a decision, not a condition. It's not about who do I have to love and who can I feel okay about not loving. It's about loving people wherever you happen to be. And as, so as individuals, right, our neighbors are all around us, and we're gonna get to that. But we also recognize that as a church, as a church family, as an organization, right, there are, needs to be this alignment, alignment and vision so that we can give ourselves to our neighbors collectively, together, Right, there needs to be ways that we do that together. And there's three primary spheres where we, as a church family, give ourselves for our neighbors. First, we give ourselves for our neighbors in our church family. This last year, it's been amazing to see our care network kick into full gear. It was something that started before COVID, before any of this, but it ended up being really needed during COVID to go help people get their groceries, to help with lawn care, to help fix a roof or other needs. But our care network has made sure the needs are met in our church family. It's been amazing to see. We've seen life groups come together and do all sorts of different uh, projects and things to help one another. I've experienced, I moved a few weeks ago and it was my life group and our staff and other parts of our church family that came to help us move all of our stuff, right? As a church family, we give ourselves for our neighbors in our church family. That's our first sphere. The second sphere, we give ourselves to the neighbors, for our neighbors in our community, those in our vicinity around each of our campuses. We, we do this through local outreach. We have local partnerships that we work with that know what they're doing to care for people well. And it's amazing to be a part of what they're doing. We, uh, you may not know this, but each of our campuses hosts memorial services at no cost to anyone. It's one of the most amazing ministries that we do as Abundant Life Church, coming around people experiencing loss and saying, come, 
We'll provide you a space to celebrate your loved one's loss. We'll give you a space to grieve and mourn and process. And we're not gonna charge you anything. We just wanna love you. I love that, that we're committed to that as a church family. Uh, recently, we started a, a program called Welcome to the Neighborhood, where we actually have a team of volunteers that delivers gift boxes to people that move into our neighborhoods around our, around our campuses. Not with any agenda, but just to say, hey, we're your neighbors. We're close by to you. Welcome. We're glad you're here. And I love that we do that as a church family. And then I, I recently learned that our Sandy campus is doing an end of the school year celebration for students up in their parking lot. And I love that, that they're using their space to celebrate students in their community. The last sphere, we give ourselves for the neighbors we have around the world, right? We have global partners, just like our local partners, global partners that know what they're doing when it comes to caring for people that are in need, that are vulnerable, that are displaced, right? And we get to partner with what they are doing. We have partners that are working with human trafficking, with, with homeless children, right, that, that don't have a place to go, a safe place to be. We have partners that are working with refugee care, right, finding people that, that are displaced from their country of origin, that have a bunch of question marks about what's next. And we get to be a part of caring for them by having partners that do that so well. That's what loving our neighbors looks like as an organization, as a church family, because there, there needs to be ways we can align and do that together. But what does it look like for you and me? What does it look like for you and I to give ourselves for our neighbors? A few weeks ago, a member of our staff shared a phrase with me that's just really stuck with me. It resonated in the moment, and I can't stop thinking about it. The phrase is, be where your feet are. Be where your feet are, wherever you happen to be, be present there. Actually be in that space. I used to ride a, the MAX train on a daily basis uh, to and from a job I had at the time. And, and I learned that other than the airport, uh, the MAX is probably the most interesting setting for people watching. And before I go further, there's two people in the world, two kinds of people in the world, those that people watch and those who lie about people watching we all do it. We all know that we all do it. But on the max, when we look around and we observe the people around us, we can see that, that most everyone is self-absorbed, right? The, the key is to, is to not make eye contact, right? You're looking at a book. You're looking at a screen. You're looking out the window. Anything to not make contact with another person. Why? Because generally people don't like to be social around strangers, especially when you're stuck in a space with strangers. But then there are people that love to be social around strangers. And you know who I'm talking about. You've experienced it or you've seen people experience it. I can't tell you how many times I've pitied a person on the max train just trying to read a book, just trying to answer emails, but having someone asking them all about, what are you reading? Where are you going? What are you up to today? What are your kids' names? <laughs> right, and just getting in their space. You might have had a similar experience on an airplane or, or in a waiting room at the doctor's office, right? There are those people that just love interacting in those places. And as annoying as they may be, you can't argue that people like that are present where their feet are. 
meaning they are, are present with the people around them. They're not self-absorbed in that space. And you might be saying, well, David, that's a silly example because those are strangers. It's not quite safe there. It's awkward to interact with people. And sometimes I just need time to myself. Absolutely. I totally get that. But what about with your friends? What about with your coworkers? What about with your family? I would argue it's just as easy to be self-absorbed in those spaces. Maybe it looks like bringing your phone to the dinner table so you can continue that scroll, whatever news or post you're reading, right? Maybe it looks like keeping your office door closed all day because you're busy or because if you're honest, you, you don't know if you can deal with people today. It's just one of those kinds of days. And if I'm honest, I was guilty of both of those this week. And I'm so lucky to have a wife and friends who can notice that, who can call me out on it, and who can just ask if I'm okay. To not shame or anything, just ask, are you okay? I've noticed this about you. It seems like you're kind of in your own space. What's going on? Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Again, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that to follow Jesus well, you need to be an extrovert. Because that's just not how many of us are wired. It is completely healthy for you to find the time and the space to take care of yourself. If we're honest, though, it is very easy to take more time and more space than we need and miss out on the opportunity to be present with other people. Fred Rogers said, the most important thing is that we are able to be one to one, you and I with each other at the moment. If we can be present to the moment with the person that we happen to be with, that's what's important. So I want you to ask yourself, what does it look like for you to take care of yourself, to get the time and space that you need, and also be where your feet are? Be present with those around you. It may feel like a sacrifice. That's really what giving yourself is. It's a sacrifice. So to give ourselves for our neighbors, we, we have to be where our feet are, be present with those around us. We also have to know enough to care well. Know enough to care well. My sister works with the Joint Offices of Homelessness in Multnomah and Clackamas County. And in talking with her over the years, I've learned so much about the, the struggle and the experience of those living outdoors. Things I would have never learned otherwise. And one of the most simple yet and surprising things, people tend to, or I should say people constantly donate the wrong things at the wrong time. When do people donate heavy winter coats? Usually in May and June, right? When they're done with them, right? I'm finished, I'm gonna do something good, I'm gonna give it to somebody who needs it. But think about that. Guess when people in Portland living outside really don't need winter coats? In May and in June when the sun starts to get hot again. And what many people don't realize is that these care organizations that, that we donate to and that distribute these things don't have a massive amount of storage facility. 
right? There's not a place to store these things for next season. So often they go unused in our community. They get sold or they get shipped somewhere else. Now remember, the people who donated these coats really care, right? They really do want to help. They just didn't know about the ins and the outs of these care organizations and the, and the experience of living outdoors. Now, does this mean that, that everyone who wants to help needs to be an expert on the people and the, and, and the situation that they're helping? No, not at all. If, but if you and I are gonna give ourselves, right, if we're gonna make that sacrifice to, uh, to care for our neighbors, we need to know enough to care well. Now, the hardest part about this Sometimes it means sacrificing your idea of what is helpful. Sometimes it means sacrificing my idea of what is helpful so that I can hear, I can be open to hearing from those in need. See, too often when we try to help, our pride gets in the way. We say things like, oh, you know what you need to do? Because I do. You know what the real problem is if we really get down to it? You know, if those people would just dot, 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 they would be fine. And we hear this all the time. Author Kay Quick wrote, true caring asks for a commitment to love and serve at times and in ways that are not always easy or convenient. It is listening and observing the person long enough to determine his or her needs and how he or she can best hear and receive caring from us. So let me ask, do you want to give yourself for your neighbors who are foster, foster or adoptive parents? To those foster and, and adoptive families? That is amazing. You know what would be a great step? Try to go and have dinner. Ask if you can go and have dinner with a foster family. Get a snapshot for what their home life is like. Ask about their story. That's a great first step before we just step in and try to care. Do you feel called to give yourself for your neighbors who are experiencing racial injustice? If you're like me and you haven't personally experienced racism or oppression, a great first step would be reading and listening to the stories of those who have knowing enough to care well. Are you passionate about giving yourself for your neighbors who are experiencing loneliness in nursing homes and retirement homes? That's incredible. What a passion to have. Maybe a great first step is volunteering time to go and sit with them and hear a story. Knowing enough to care well. We forget that listening itself is a form of caring. We'll skip straight to the doing without taking the time to simply listen. Our Spring Rooted celebration was this, this last week, and we got to hear from, from those that participated in the Rooted season, and it was so cool to hear what God did in people's lives. But something that stuck out to me, one thing that was said, uh, someone shared, I never thought, anyone would care to hear my story until this group. Church, I yearn for this community. 
this church family to be one that cares to hear another's story. I so yearn for it to be true of Abundant Life Church that we are a community of people that show other people that their stories are significant, that they matter, not just in general, they matter to us. You might think, why should they matter to me? Those are strangers. They're in a different life stage. They're not like me. No, they matter because they matter to Jesus. They matter to God. And it could be, it may be, it probably is true that their story can change and affect your spiritual journey. That there is something about what God has done in the life of another person that can change your worldview, that can help you become more and more a part of the kingdom of God because you are choosing to engage and hear the stories of others. Church, may it be true that we value, that we purposefully, intentionally value the stories of others. Once we present, once we are present, with our neighbors, once we fully listen to our neighbors, we know enough to care well. That is when we are ready to give ourselves. That's when we're ready to really give ourselves. You'll notice in this whole message, I haven't talked about that, that physical part of serving others, right? The going out and doing. Next week, Pastor, uh, Pastor Dave is gonna talk about, um, he's gonna start a new series where we're talking about generous living and generous giving. Generous living and generous giving. And that's where we're gonna get super practical. What does this look like? Giving ourselves to others. But before we get there, we have to recognize that giving ourselves for others starts with being where our feet are and knowing enough to care well. It starts with relationships because without relationships, we're just giving stuff. We're just giving money. We're just volunteering time. It is through relationships that we give ourselves for our neighbors. I'd like to close with a, a, a prayer from the Book of Common Prayer. This is a historical prayer that the church has prayed over the years and the decades. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, whose blessed Son came not to be served, but to serve. Bless all who following in his steps give themselves to the service of others that with wisdom, patience, and courage they may minister in his name to the suffering, the friendless, and the needy for the love of him who laid down his life for us, your son, our savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.